Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Stacey Adamondo, and my latest cookbook is Piatti, Plates and Platters for Sharing Inspired by Italy. You are a James Beard award-winning cookbook author, and you're also the editor-in-chief of Sever. Now, last week in Sever Magazine, you wrote a piece entitled, Antipasti is one of the best parts of Italian food, but no one talks about it. Why do you think people <laughs> don't talk about it? Well, I, I maybe that was a, a smidge of an overstatement, but I think that Italian food, you know, it's almost like you say that phrase and the first thing that comes to mind is pasta, right? Or um, I think, you know, people are talking about the spritz or, you know, there's like sort of these iconic um, dishes that you seek out and you know that you're going to get when you go and travel in Italy. But I think that antipasti might just be a little bit overlooked. Um, even that word, you know, we we had this big debate about putting it on the cover of the cookbook or not, because I think that word conjures up certain dishes. Um, not in a good way, like maybe just limited things like crostini or, um, you know, maybe like a caprese salad or something like that. And I think since the book has so much more in it than that, and there are so many different antipasti as you travel around the regions of Italy, that word, I don't think quite, um, you know, like maybe maybe in the States, we don't really like associate it with all that it actually packs in in Italy. So I think it's just um, a course and sort of almost what I consider like a lifestyle. It's it's my it's like a chosen way of eating at any time for me um, that I wanted to bring more attention to and cast more light on. What does antipasti translate to and what are the pillars of it? So the word antipasti, um, you know, its Latin roots literally just mean before the meal. So um, if you think of it like that, I think it's wide open to interpretation. But classically, I think a lot of the things that you'll find in common as you travel around Italy are that antipasti is very simple. Um, you know, Italians make a big deal about a formal meal. So there are many courses and you can't really spend all your time on the first course. So it's meant to be simple, sort of more rustic, um, often family style food. It's often laid out on big platters that can sort of just rest at room temperature. So when you walk into someone's house, uh, the antipasti might already be on the table or sometimes at restaurants, there's sort of an antipasti buffet um, that you can approach and just bring a plate or, you know, sort of point to what you want. So it's very much like a help yourself ordeal. And then I think a lot of it, because of the rustic attitude and the regionality and that sort of like inexpensiveness of it. Um, it often has a focus on sort of breads and vegetables. Um, you know, you'll see some cheese and charcuterie in there, of course, but it's a lot of things that are sort of readily available, easy to access and inexpensive. So I think the takeaway from this cookbook is that we can center a whole meal around it. I think so. Um, <laughs> I tell a story in the introduction to the book that was one of many times that this happened to me, but I was actually, I took a solo journey to Southern Italy. It was actually like the tip of Italy's so-called boot on the map uh, called Reggio Calabria. And I have some um, sort of removed family members who live there. They're cousins of my grandparents. So so I'm in my, my relative's house in Reggio Calabria, and they said they just wanted to cook me a little meal. And so I thought, great, here's the meal, you know, when they put all the food on the table. So I ate as if, you know, 
it were the end of the meal. Um, I stuffed myself and everything was delicious. And there were, you know, big uh, platters of vegetables and beans and sausages and all kinds of things. And, and I just ate and ate and ate. And then after that, they said, well, here's lunch. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. oh my God, like, I don't know how much more I can fit in. And lunch <laughs> had course after course after course, including, you know, this huge cake for dessert. And they made a huge deal out of it. And it was beautiful. And, and every course was as delicious as the one before. But I really, they had sort of had me at the antipasti. And, and I felt like that would have been plenty and that would have sufficed. And I often feel that way in Italian restaurants. Like, you look at the antipasti menu and, you know, there's these beautiful platters of things. Everything kind of has the uh, ingredients that are characteristic of the region. And essentially, you could really get a taste for that region through just the antipasti course and eat to your heart's content. So piatti is sort of a celebration of these platters as, you know, as whatever way you want to serve them. You can serve them as an appetizer or just something to graze on when guests come over or it's just you and your family hanging out on the weekends or you know, you can just kind of transfer your your way of cooking and serving to this and just put out these big platters, let people help themselves and think of things as more of a family style grazing affair. What does the word piatti mean? Piatti is the Italian word for plates. So it just kind of broadly characterizes, uh, you know, dishes. I read that your lifelong culinary idol is Lydia Bastianich, and she wrote <laughs> that this book is a tribute to the Italian culinary culture of using the freshest of ingredients when in season. What impact has she had on your life? Well, what I love about Lydia, and you know, this is, I think, speaks to her Italian spirit, but also um, she's just, you know, a very warm and generous person who is all about abundance, but it's for the sake of abundance for others. She likes to treat people specially. Um, She's a wonderful teacher. Um, She's, she's a patient teacher. You know, she, she says the word in Italian and then she tells you what it means. She talks about the dish in Italian that, you know, might've been something that's like second nature to her, but then she really takes the time to sort of deep dive into dishes in her shows and in her cookbooks. And that's just really special to me. Um, I think a lot of my book is very, family-oriented. I'm Italian-American, and many of these recipes came from my grandmother and my great-grandmother, and I'm sure probably her mother before that. So, um, you know, to me, they're second nature, and they're things that were at my dinner table, um, you know, weekly when I was growing up. But to others, maybe they're not as familiar, or maybe, um, you know, they had a version of their family that was different than mine. So I really wanted to just keep things, um, you know, very Italian focused and have each recipe have a little lesson about, you know, what inspired me about Italian culture that led to this one dish in the book. And, you know, for that reason, I, I, I take inspiration from Lydia, um, in, in her, you know, wonderful teachings and just overall warmth and, and generosity in that way. And talk about Italian American. Your dad grew up on Mulberry Street. To him, it was just, Growing up in this crazy part of the city in Manhattan, um, you know, Mulberry Street is sort of the heart of Manhattan's Little Italy, and it still is to this day. But my dad grew up, uh, he was there from the 40s to the 60s. And at that time, you know, it was all Italians living there. Um, You know, everybody had these huge, you know, thick New York Italian-American accents. Um, you know, my dad's name was Carmine. I mean, everyone around him, you know, had, had those 
Italian names and traditions and rituals, and they really didn't veer much from that neighborhood, I think, according to the way my dad describes it. So for him, you know, he wanted to broaden his horizons. He was sort of like, well, this is great, but what else is there? You know, we I don't think we need to be contained to just a pocket of people who are exactly like us. So he ended up, you know, sort of traveling the world and, um, you know, teaching us all about different kinds of foods and cultures from the world. And that was super special. But I think when I got older and started to really realize what a um, wonderful privilege it is to have this beautiful story about my roots and to have a culture that we associate with and traditions that we pass down through generations, I sort of started to nag him about it and say like, wait a minute, dad, like you don't talk about this enough or what was it like? Or, um, you know, like, can we, can we go walk down Mulberry street sometime and, and you tell me what used to be there and, uh, what it was like back then, because it's really important. And it's, um, something I would love to continue in our family, even though, you know, my siblings and I don't all have very Italian names and, um, pretty much I'm the only one in my immediate family that even speaks some Italian. So, you know, we're, we're very much Italian American, I would say. Um, but I really don't want to lose contact with our Italian roots. And I think that's very, very special and part of what defines us. Little Italy keeps shrinking and shrinking. It's really upsetting. Every time I go there, I'm like, oh, it's now it's half a block. Not really, but it's gotten so small. Yeah. And you know, it's difficult to find sort of that quote, authentic experience in Little Italy today. It is, but there are a few staples, um, you know, like shops and groceries and delis down there that I think are wonderful. And I do think, you know, New York City as a whole offers some really great authentic Italian. Um, you just kind of can't always find it on Mulberry Street anymore. How did you <laughs> update the Caprese salad? Okay, so nothing against the Caprese salad. I understand why people love it. It's colorful. It reminds you of summer. I mean, mozzarella is delicious, but... I'm just so tired of seeing it. You know, I think it's one of those dishes that's come kind of become kind of cliche in, uh, in American restaurants or in tourist touristy restaurants in Italy even. Um, and it's not always good every time of year, you know, when tomatoes are out of season or basil's not in season, it's, it's just not as good as it could be. So I wanted to take that concept and that sort of room temperature salad with vegetables and mozzarella that people love and sort of update it and turn it into something that works in every season. And also this is a little bit fresh and freshened up. So I did a, a version in Piatti that has, um, you can either grill, you know, multicolored uh, bell peppers, or you can put them under the broiler and sort of soften them and blacken their skins and give them that nice smoky flavor. And then I just sort of like peel those, you know, into strips and put them with this delicious room temperature, uh, you know, high quality, good Italian mozzarella. But I also shave, or you can thinly slice um, fresh, hot chilies over the top. So the Caprese salad lacks anything crunchy. And for me, that's, that's a faux pas. I love all my dishes to have good crunchy texture to them of some kind. And so this has this, those crispy fresh peppers on top for a little bit of extra texture and some heat. And, and it just like wakes up your mouth a little bit more than the caprese does, I think. Another concept I learned in this cookbook was marinated cheese. Describe this. Okay, I have been talking about this recipe so much and it's, it, there's so many amazing ones in the book, but I keep coming back to this one as, again, another eye-opening dish that I think most people, first of all, wouldn't really even associate as Italian, 
And then second of all, wouldn't really think of when it comes to what to put out when you're entertaining. So this is a dish inspired by the Val d'Aosta, which is in northern Italy um, in the mountains. Um, and basically, you you know, the, the, there's a very specific cheese that's used in the region, but I sort of adapted the recipe to use goat cheese, which everyone can find. It's soft, it's tangy, has a lot in common with the cheese they use there. And you slice it and just sort of simply lay these rounds of goat cheese on the plate. And then the marinade comes in and that's where the magic happens. So I use really good quality extra virgin olive oil and really thinly slice some celery, which is totally unexpected, um, almost to the point where it's transparent and it's sort of like a little garnish instead of a, a big crispy vegetable. And then we use what we call mountain herbs in the book. Um, it's some fresh thyme, rosemary, and sage, really finely chopped, and just stir that all into this olive oil, like a lot of olive oil, and then drizzle it with a spoon over the top of this goat cheese platter. And so the oil and the marinade start to sort of flavor and and seep into the cheese, and the cheese kind of takes on this like meltier texture as it mingles with the olive oil. And then you eat that scooped up with like crusty warm bread, and it's so wonderful. It's so good. There's, I think there's some sea salt in there so it really pops in your mouth. Um, and again, it's got that crispiness. And, you know, again, it's it's no more difficult than putting out any old cheese board. But it's so much more unexpected and so special. And people just keep coming back to it and just, you know, with oohs and ahs. I have to bring up the physical book cover. I was trying to think of a way to describe it. So the outside of the spine isn't attached to the inside of the spine of the cookbook, which makes for a super unique design. And it sits flat on the counter. When I was cooking out of it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so flat and I don't have to put anything on it to hold it open. I've never seen this. Did you come up with the design? So my wonderful team at Chronicle Books had the idea for the design and I think it's super special too. Um, so yeah, I think you described it well, but basically when you open up the book, the back cover stays attached to the book, but the front cover sort of falls all the way open. So it's like this beautiful, almost second cover that you see when you open the book on the inside. And the, since the spine isn't attached, the whole spine lays flat against the kitchen counter. So every page that you comb through will lay flat against that that front cover. And it's like, right, you don't have to keep turning back and say, oh, I lost my page or, um, you know, put something on the book to weigh it down. The, the pages just naturally stay open to where you left them. So I think it's more functional for cooking, but I think it's beautiful too. It, you know, it kind of gives the book this like wow factor. And, um, you know, it's just when, when people open it, they, they always say, oh my gosh, that's so great. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something a little bit special. Yeah, when I first got it, I was like, oh, my God, I broke it. But then I realized. Well, yeah, it's tricky because I have actually had, there's one or two people who left some comments when they purchased the book on Amazon that were like, this book's broken. Mine came, mine came damaged. We had to sort of respond to them and be like, no, actually, that's, that's the design. (laughs) It's, it's different. And it takes some getting used to when you first open it, you're like, wait, is this, is this supposed to be this way? But um, I think I hope that people will will get it and and love it. So talk a bit about how the beginning moments of a meal are the best moments. So this part, I think, you know, plays into the nostalgia from, you know, family events and holidays. And then also just when you're traveling and you have that moment where, you know, you're in a great 
place, you've met some new people, or maybe the table next to you at the restaurant sort of, you know, leans in to give you a cheers when you all sit down or something. But I just love that feeling of, you know, when you have friends over or you're out to dinner and those first moments you sit down, you're so excited for the meal, um, or maybe you're still standing around having your first glass of wine and it's like the alcohol flush is just beginning to hit your cheeks and, you know, everybody's so excited to be together and you're not yet stuffed. So your appetite's going and those first platters of food like roll out of the kitchen. That is just the best moment in the party and the platters look gorgeous and you're like, you know, so excited to discover what the cook is treating you to. And I just think that's, you know, my favorite part of the meal or it's become my favorite part. And that is sort of what I was trying to celebrate in Piatti and and sort of extend so that that moment can feel like it's blasting through the gathering. In my opinion, your black lentils with burrata on page 67 is a super luxurious comfort food. Describe this dish. Well, this actually plays into what I mentioned before, which is my love for texture in dishes. So burrata is so wonderful. Um, you know, it's sort of a, a style of mozzarella that, um, you know, kind of has a, a very creamy center. So it almost like spills open a little bit when you, when you, um, spoon into the ball of burrata. And that's so delicious and it's perfect for spooning atop, you know, a piece of bread or um, just sort of like uh, laying it atop some vegetables. But I always feel like when you're eating burrata, again, like I want a little bit of texture, a little bit of variety in the bite. Um, bite after bite, burrata can kind of be redundant. So I put a ball of burrata on top of what was a very simple um, black lentil salad. Lentils are very much um, an Italian ingredient, especially in sort of the central part, uh, the central and northern part, I think, of the country. So this is, you know, you can simply boil some black lentils in some salted water. And that's, you know, you can do that a day ahead. You can do that three days ahead. That can sit and sort of just be served at room temperature. And then right before you're going to serve this dish, you wilt a little bit of red onion, a little splash of vinegar, and some baby spinach in a pan. And you end up spooning that into the black lentils and then put the ball of burrata on top when you serve it to your guests. So when they're digging in with their spoons or with a big piece of bread, they get a little bite of that onion for a little bit of that sort of like heat that onion gives off. There's some green in there. Um, so the plate looks just more festive and get that sweetness of, of the vegetable. And then you also have this texture of the lentil, which is kind of that nice like al dente bean um, so I just think it's a it's a way to sort of fancy up just a plain old ball of burrata, but it takes less than 10 minutes to get to the table. So the other evening, I made your recipe for warm artichokes with aioli on page 93. Um, talk about how artichokes are a celebratory food for you. Artichokes are so beautiful. Um, first of all, they just command a lot of attention at the table. And I think they're not a vegetable that you see that much because they take some work. Um, so to me, they feel a little bit more special occasion. Um, you know, they're a little bit on the pricier side when it comes to vegetables, um, you know, cutting into them and peeling out the choke, which you have to do if you're going to serve them whole is a lot of work. Um, you know, you got to put a little muscle into it and then they take a, a decent amount of time to cook until tender. So for me, I think they just sort of bring that special occasion feeling to a table. Um, and they're also something that I reserve for when I have time to do it and when I want to bring that something a little bit extra um, special to the table. 
So I have a couple, you know, there's actually a beautiful artichoke dish on the cover of the book, um, which I thought just captured the spirit of the simplicity, but also the Italianism of Piatti very well. And then inside the, the recipe that you're speaking about is actually even easier because you can braise and sort of uh, boil the artichokes ahead of time, get them tender, and then serve them either fresh out of the pot like that or chill them and allow them to just you know, be ready when your guests come over, put out these chilled artichokes, and then you've got this really simple uh, garlicky aioli that's got a little bit of like citrus peel in it and some olive oil. And together, you know, the artichokes are so mild and, and sort of vegetal, and this aioli's got that spice from the garlic, and it's really creamy and rich. So it just becomes like a really sort of fancy-seeming dish, but it's a vegetable with a dip, and that's it. So with my artichokes, I cut off the stem, but I see on the front here, you have the stems kind of intact. Do you eat the stem? I do. So actually my family, I mean, the stem is almost an extension of the artichoke's heart. Um, The difficult part about it is it's got like a fibrous skin on the outside. So if you're going to use the stem, I just take a vegetable peeler and just peel the outside of the stem so that you're only exposing and, and reserving the tender part in the center. But, yeah, you know, one of those wonderful treats that you'll see in a fancy Italian market is like long stem artichokes because the stem has that consistency of the heart. It gets really tender. It kind of stores, you know, the heart of the flavor of the artichoke. And in my family, sometimes when we make stuffed artichokes, we actually cut off the stem and cut it into really fine dice and then put that into our artichoke stuffing. So it's like you're stuffing the artichoke with its own (laughs) most delicious part. Oh my so yeah, gosh. if you can find artichokes with the stems on, you should always buy the stem. That sounds amazing because my favorite part is the heart. And now I know the heart goes a little more into the stem. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I also made your mini prosciutto and pecorino panini on strawberry buttermilk biscuits on page 106. Now, when I think about panini, I think about ciabatta or a baguette, but never about buttermilk biscuits. Talk a little bit about this. <laughs> Well, this is part of the reason that I, I called the book Inspired by Italy and not just 100% straightforward Italian because I did allow myself to take some liberties and infuse some better textures and flavors and um, just some different um, updates to some of the recipes that I love from traveling around Italy. But panino, you know, a panino in Italy is often very simple. Um, you see them everywhere from, you know, restaurants in the center of Rome to airports as you're passing through. And I think you can kind of find a good quality one anywhere. Usually they just contain, you know, a couple of slices of cured meat of some kind. Um, and then, you know, maybe a slice of cheese. And at the most, might, you might find something like a giardinera or, you know, a couple of handfuls of arugula on top. But they're very, very straightforward normally. So with that in mind, I wanted to do a riff on a panino that you can put out for guests when they first arrive. Again, something very simple that doesn't take you much effort in the kitchen, but, you know, fills them up a little bit, um, something to serve with that first glass of wine. And I thought, what if I did it with a really flaky biscuit? So I kind of used, you know, almost more of like a Southern American style uh, buttermilk biscuit recipe. And I wanted to even go a little step further and make it fancy and special. So I put spring strawberries into the dough. So you've got your flaky biscuit and, you know, if you're serving this fresh out of the oven, that's still like warm in the center and it's got like kind of a crusty exterior. 
And then you have these little pockets where you get like a burst of fresh ripe strawberry flavor. And with the salty prosciutto and pecorino cheese that goes inside, it is like the best little snack. That is a good breakfast. That's a good meal in and of itself if you make a bigger version. But I love it as a first bite. And so do the people who come over. (laughs) Now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you have for your last supper? Off the top of my head, I know that it would have to be something that reminded me of sort of my happy place in life. And that was around my grandmother's kitchen table. Um, You know, again, she learned to cook from her mother and probably um, her mother before that. And also my grandfather's mother was a wonderful cook. So everything that they served just could melt you with its deliciousness. Um, Something that we served that maybe I could definitely have this as my last meal actually was we made our meatballs in the morning on Sunday mornings. Um, We never served them in red sauce and with spaghetti or anything. We served them straight out of the pan. We'd fry them in like a big pool of olive oil and they were filled with garlic and fresh herbs um, and, you know, all this delicious warm and crispy beef on the outside. And we would take them straight from the pan with a fork and just put them onto a nice fresh roll and eat a meatball sandwich with nothing else but a meatball and its own olive oil that it was fried in. And that was breakfast every Sunday morning at grandma's house. So I would definitely take that as my last meal. Is that recipe in Piatti? It is. I don't serve it on the roll because I thought that might be a little bit much for, you know, a quick bite before your meal. But it's one of the last recipes in the book, um, my grandmother's fried beef meatballs. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to try that. So where can we find you on the web and social media? Well, I kept it simple. Mostly, if you search my name in any of those mediums, you can find me. So on Instagram, I'm at Stacy underscore Adamondo. And uh, my website is just StacyAdamondo.com. And you can find links to purchasing the book there. And um, follow along, you know, to see where I'll be having events with Piatti coming up. This is the crowd-pleasing cookbook you want to bring with you on your trip to the beach house, lake house, or cabin this summer. Thanks so much, Stacy, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.